Hannah Brown. Chris McLeachie, we're episode number 56. 56. If this was Top of the Pops, we'd be the picks. Before we start, I've got exciting news. We have a special guest in the house today, pals. (gasps) Who would you like to see? It's Shirley the cat. Shirley Bartley. Shirley. Yeah, I've just woken her up. Her sleep, she's not happy. (laughs) Sleeping cats, what a luxury. What a luxury. So yes, Shirley the cat is in the house this evening. Shirley in the house. DJ Shirley. I mean, to be fair, she's always in the house, but this was the first day she saw me cleaning up the room that I record in. And I took something off a chair and she was like, I sits on this now. I sits on the chair. My booty on chair. Yes, basically. So she is she is here. In an hour's time, she'll probably be sitting at the door making me let her out, but that's okay for the minute she's invested. How bleeding are you with your wee Poirot mug? Thank you very much. Staying on brand. Mm-hmm. I'm quite all right. Thank you very much. Nothing really to report from this week, I don't think. I don't think I did anything exciting this week. Hmm. I can't really remember the last week, so that probably tells you how exciting it was. <laughs> okay. But how be you? Well... What a time well, it has been. Yeah. Oh, I saw you. That happened this week. It on did? On Sunday. On Sunday. On Sunday. <laughs> what was Sunday? Wait. When we were over at Matt's. Oh, of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> we went to watch Tick Tick Boom. We did. It was a delightful time. It was a very good film. I think, controversial opinion, Lin-Manuel Miranda can do quite well behind the camera and perhaps that's where she he should stay. I think that's a, a, a valid critique. Yes, it was. It was, very, it was a very well-made and well-shot film. It was. I agree. I will give him that. Um, he did still manage to give himself a very brief cameo, but we'll forgive him. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was excellent. Yeah, it was great. It was really, really good. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. But yes, that was only Sunday, dear. Wow. That feels like longer ago. And it also happened so quickly because it just, it went from work, tick, tick, boom, home. So I didn't really have much time to process. I know. Controversially, I was late. Oh, this is true, but it's okay. It was seven seven o'clock and I turned up at ten past seven. And that teeny, teeny little tiny part of me was like, oh, Chris, Chris McLeish was working. Chris McLeish will be late. Chris McLeish was in with his shoes off, his feet up and burrito in hand when I got there. So I was ashamed that I, I had turned up late <laughs> and had halted proceedings. I was 15 minutes early. <laughs> well done, you. I, I will admit, I hate being late with a burning passion. That's fair. I hate yeah. it. But Me I'm too. always late because my job is so... I can never predict when I'm going to finish. It yeah, is literally impossible to say... I'll be done by six. I'll be over by half six. Uh It just does not happen. I can also be in the middle of the day and all of a sudden I'm working till eight when I thought I would be working till five. It happens constantly and I cannot help it from happening. So it's not my fault that I'm always late to stuff, but it drives me round the wall. I can see why that would be frustrating, yes. Yeah. And because I work six days a week, pretty much, True. It means that six out of the seven days a week, I'm not in control of when I arrive places. That's fair enough, yeah. Yeah. 
very frustrating sometimes but it's a part of the life of an escape room host do you know what i mean absolutely why are you not called escape room artists i think you need to be called that that's i mean i think that's better than game master yeah that's a good name i think you should go with that one and i think you should get a big badge that says it i agree i'm gonna request it for our next merch yeah our next merch i hear that you were giving it laldi down at the big old hydro in it some in it some let me tell you so yeah yeah yes i went to see steps for the third time on uh yesterday which was tuesday <laughs> on yesterday which was on yesterday uh i've lost track of time that's quite all right as you can hear from my voice i didn't yes. push myself too much i was very sensible well done i'm proud so the, the first time i did steps i was just i was it was the week of the production of spring awakening i did yes. so i couldn't sing along Yes. The second time I went to see Steps, I was it was my day off mid panto, mm-hmm. so again couldn't sing. Yep. Yesterday I didn't have any reason not to sing, but I was just very well. I obviously I've been having trouble, so I thought mm, I'm not going to no, push it. I'm not going to push Playing myself. It Playing it safe. Yeah. So it was excellent. I was booging away like a little maniac. Where are you doing all the moves? Of course, as many of them as I could. But let, this is the thing you don't appreciate until you actually see Steps in action. You see one of their music videos and you think those steps are easy. Those moves yeah. are simple. Mm-hmm. But when you actually see it in a full-blown concert, there are so many steps because every single song has well-known choreography and it's all uh-huh. very, like, it's very voguey in it a way. It's very voguey, yeah. When they've got a two-hour set, that's a uh-huh. lot of moves to remember. It very much is, yes. So it's very impressive. Now, Faye sadly caught COVID. Yes. So yes. she was absent. But I have to really give Lisa her due, and H, actually, because they both covered the majority of Faye's stuff. Mm-hmm. And Lisa gets a bad rap as being the dancer <laughs> of the group, of just the dancer in the group. But she held her own. She was great. Fantastic. Absolutely great. I'm she needs to, to be, hear it. She needs credit where credit is due. And H is a true tenor because he was belting out all of Faye's stuff whenever he needed to. <laughs> so was it just the four of them? It was just the four of them. There was a few moments where you could see the gaps where you were like, that's where Faye oh, right, would be. Okay. Yeah. There was a few lyric stumbles. There was a few bits where nobody sang anything. But it was fine. That's like every, fair enough. Everyone was totally on the same page and it didn't matter. Yeah. It was, they did, they did, they did everything they did. <laughs> with a smile on their face and Excellent. we were on their side. Excellent. A few highlights for me were, for it. it's the way you make me feel, H oh. was wearing a dress. Yes. I love that. Oh, yes. Last week was Trans Awareness Week. Mm-hmm. And so at one point H did this big speech about how as a young boy he struggled with his sexuality identity because especially when he was like a pop star and he was in the public eye and mm-hmm. stuff and it just wasn't mm-hmm. cool. And he always loved to dress up. He loved to wear dresses. He loved to just be in costumes of all sorts. And he's only now got to the stage where he feels like doing a concert like this. He can say, I want to be wearing this. I want to wear a dress mm-hmm. for this. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't him saying in any way that he is trans, but just saying that people should just be who they want to be 
feel comfortable expressing themselves in whatever way be that actual gender expression or like whatever whatever he was totally it was such a great little speech yeah it was it was i thoroughly enjoyed that that was a highlight oh i love that the first couple of numbers he was wearing very very short shorts again i was like express yourself how you like i love that not i'm not that brave (laughs) and then he uh, 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 there was one bit during the summer of love where they had these it's one of my favorite this is the summer of love anyway did you do the dance to that one I, d- I didn't have enough space really to do the dance to that one. That's fair enough. But it is, it's got a nice Latin flair. Big fan. It absolutely so, does. So behind each of the steps, they had a, essentially like a, a, a thin drape. It was like a silk that came from the ceiling down yes. to the floor. Yes. And at one point they just do a little turn. They just walk on the spot in a, tur- in a circle. And it was uh-huh. a moment that I feel like most people would have missed. But Claire Richards, my absolute favourite, went behind her silk and then jumped out. <laughs> as, if to, as if to be like, ooh. <laughs> and it really cracked me up. I was wetting myself for ages. Because it, it was done in such a small manner that it felt like it wasn't for us. It was for whoever was next to her. I think it was H. And uh-huh. so it felt like she was just jumping out at H to be kind of like, ooh. And it cracked oh, me that. up. It was so funny. It really cracked me up. <laughs> We like um, people having fun at their work. Yes. There's a girl and her mum have gone to most of the tour so far. And so they uh-huh. dedicated um, one of the songs to them. And it was very sweet. That is very, adorable. Very sweet. Our seats were excellent. We were about 10 rows from the front. I was about to say that. Yeah. Where you said it's been a long time since I've been in the hydro. So so we were L. Hang on, that would be A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L. Row 12. There you go. Row 12 right in the center column facing the thrust of the stage yeah so when they came out on the thrust we could see them as if they were like like right next to you right next to us they were so close yeah and i don't feel like we had to pay any extra for that it was magical and excellent yes i will not lie to you i was very stressed about going to this concert that's fair enough i tried not to let on because i don't want people to be judgy yes but I started the day before the concert happened. I started to get very nervous and I didn't want to mm-hmm. go anymore mm-hmm. because it would be my first outing in a while. And I don't trust people not to do what they have to do to keep everyone safe. I don't trust people. Yep. And sadly, because the government guidelines currently are that to uh, the requirements to take your mask off are eating or drinking mm-hmm. or dancing. Yes. So essentially, people were like, great, well, we're going to dance the whole concert. So every single person took off their mask. Okay. And I genuinely, a couple of times, took a quick glance around, left and right, to Uh look if I could see any other person wearing a mask. And I could not see one person with their mask on. Oh, dear. So I... And the reason I was getting stressed the day before is because they did a selfie from the point of view of the stage. And looking at that photo, I could see nobody had their masks on. The first person I saw in the gig with a mask on was when the show had finished and I turned around. And it was probably someone who just put it on right there and then. But we saw the photo of the selfie that they did from the POV of the stage the night before. No one was Mm -hmm. in a mask. So that's when I started to panic. 
Yeah. When we actually got there, there were very few people behind us. There was a couple of gaps in front of us and there was nobody either side of us. So actually, when oh, I was nice. there, everywhere was packed. But I just felt like we found this one little bubble where we weren't actually surrounded by everybody. And so oh, it relaxed good. me it relaxed me a little bit. Okay. But I was still very nervous about the fact that there were lot there was literally no one with a mask on. No one. Yeah. I like I I, I'm still I'm actually mad about it when I think about it. Yeah. Because I think the di- the dancing guideline is nonsense. It is utter nonsense. I would second that. It is. It's, it's very nonsense. stupid. It's stupid. You're more at risk dancing about when people get out of breath and breathe more heavily than you are when you're just sitting next to somebody. Exactly. Exactly. So I wasn't very impressed with that. They did, do, they did do an announcement and everything to encourage people to wear masks, but uh-huh. they then added in the reminder, but if you're eating or drinking or dancing, you can take them off. So I was yeah. kind of like, ooh, no, That's that fair. rule needs to be revoked. That needs to go. Yeah. Anyways, the support act was Sophie Ellis Bexter. <gasps> what a time! Yeah, she had like a full hour to herself and she, st- oh. she did the whole... She did her whole little gig on the thrust. So she was like, within arm's oh, reach, that's... if I had really, oh really, God. really, really long arms. Oh, you were living like the nostalgic dream last night. I was having a great time. And did you do all the classics? All the classics. Murder on the dance floor. Take yes. me home. All of them. I loved oh. it. Everything was so good. It was, so, it was an excellent night and we thoroughly enjoyed ourselves. One of my highlights, actually, from the actual gig itself Okay. Because Steps, Steps' set was literally two and a bit hours. So it was, they were on for a long time with no break. Yeah. But they did a little 60s bit and I thoroughly enjoyed. So oh, they cute. went back to the 60s. They had a little screen come on camera for their costume changes where they all sang a little snippet of a 60s song. That was fun. Uh-huh. Then they did the kind of doom, do, 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 do. Oh, I've forgotten the bass line. But anyway, groove is in the heart. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, like the bass line from that started. And they did five, six, seven, eight as a mashup with that song. That's so good. So good. So five, <laughs> six, seven, eight had like such a fun little um, like 60s vibe. Oh, cute. They've got to do something to keep things fresh. Do you know what I mean? That's fair. That's fair. So, now I've anyways. got to ask because... Yes. You were practicing it on Sunday night. It's the one thing I remember about Sunday night. Did they sing Deeper Shade of Blue? Of course they did. It was one of the later numbers. Did you do the dance? I did every move. I know it like, like as well as I know my name. I know it so well. You really do. Yeah. So yeah, we did. We both, there was quite a few dances that we did, but I don't like to be looked at. So I was keeping everything quite small. Nope, that's fair enough. Yeah. Unless people are paying me, I don't like to be looked at. No, that's at. different though. That's yeah, different though. That's different. They're paying for the privilege. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I get very embarrassed dancing in public and I don't really enjoy it. So I was doing everything very small. Tragedy happened down here. Lovely. Yeah. So instead of having <laughs> tragedy with my hands, like a set of headphones, it was like more like little bra- bralettes where I was just doing tragedy around my chesticles. That was it. <laughs> yes, it looks like you're having a bra malfunction. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Yes, that's probably what yeah. it was. We love that. Yeah, but really, honestly, excellent, excellent night. And steps are just—they are timeless. They are absolutely timeless. They're so good. I listen to their music quite a lot if I'm out running. Yeah. Oh. Because so it's good. just like it's just like good, happy, upbeat music. It's oh. 
I really also, do. Also, and can we wonders. just can we just appreciate the music video for the way you make me feel? <laughs> when did that come out? Like early two thousands. So I'd have maybe been what six. My so my the last time I saw Steps, this alleged me, was the tour that they ultimately broke up on. Two thousand and one. That was. Yeah. That's yeah. oh my god. That was twenty years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Ew. Um. Yeah, but I so that song must have come out round about then, if not just before. And I fully credit that video for getting me obsessed with period dramas. Just saying. Yeah, well, the vi- the the period clothes stunning, Claire yeah. with hip length hair extensions stunning. Yes, Lisa with brightly coloured train tracks beautiful. It's an excellent choice. My first ever gig was hearsay. Whoa! Oh, now yes. that is a throwback. Throwback, and I—it was my eighth birthday. Yes. So that was twenty-three years ago. Nope, twenty-two years ago. Uh, Disgusting. Ew. Disgusting. Ew. What was the demographic like for the audience? Vast, like vast, vast, very diverse. So we had in front of us and to the left a man who was probably about sixty-five. Love it. A lot of homosexuals. Excellent. There was lots of kids. So it may be that kids are fans, but the chances are it's because their parents are fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's because they're probably really, our age, Chris. <laughs> I know. Ew. People our age are not old enough to have children. I'm they're not, it. they're not. I'm We've only it. just left school. I don't understand. So wild. Anyway, um... I want to know if our parents felt the same when they were our age, being like, 30's too young to have children. That's fair enough. Even though my mum had my sister when she was 30. They had a wide demographic. Well, we like that. I'm pleased to hear that. I'm pleased to hear it's not just lots of old mid-twenties to late-thirties people trying to relive their youth vicariously through a- no. Through steps. I'm pleased to hear that they appeal to to the masses still. And I think this is the other thing. Claire Richards, her voice has not changed a day. She's incredible. At all. And can we just appreciate her turn on the seminal ITV reality show, Pop Star Star to Opera Star? What a show. She sang the highest notes in the history of that show. She didn't do the top F. But she did a top E, I think. So she was a semitone down in Queen of the Night Aria. Still incredible. Yes. I've just spoken almost for about half an hour about steps. That's quite all. Hey, you've got to fangirl over steps. You do. You do. We are big fans of steps on the podcast. We are. And you know what? It's the way they make me feel. I, oh, Yes. Well, on that note, yes. shall we skip on over for our question of the week? Otherwise, we could just yes. sit and talk about steps. We could, because I'm, I'm All a big fan. Evening. I have a lot to say. So, okay, so this is vaguely similar to a question we had a while ago now. Okay. But it's slightly more sp- specific. Specific. Um, and that is, what children's film is way scarier than it should be? So the last one we had was, what was our... Was it the scariest scenes in non-horror films? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And we just happened to have a couple of kids' films in there. We did. Um, okay, so I'm going to try and think of something different. That's fair enough. But yes, The Black Cauldron is still on that list. Because <laughs> that's what I was about to say. 
yeah that that do you know do you know what i was thinking about the other day right legit and it is a, i suppose not the whole film is scarier but retrospectively you know how in matilda mm-hmm. excellent film by the way fabulous excellent film, film. Um, excellent soundtrack actually in that film yeah but see the bit when miss honey and matilda are in the house and Trunchbull's stalking them High through stakes. the house. That's that's way more stressful than it should yes. be in a kids' film. A hundred percent. And she and you've got Miss Honey valiantly tossing a cannonball. Well, not Absolutely. a cannonball. It's like a shot putt or shot whatever putt. it's called. It looks Ca- like a cannonball. It's a cannonball. Let's be serious. It's a cannonball. <laughs> Pam Ferris. What a gal. Oh, what a gal. Talk about versatility. Oh yes. Um terrifying that film yeah i never actually thought about it but, but matilda's quite a scary film it is in lots of ways but then i suppose a lot of the roldal adaptations they are. are that is true that is true the witches probably is then yeah that's something that was quite scary as, well. as a child i still haven't seen the remake i haven't either part of me kind of refuses to watch it yeah i didn't hear great I'm things so- sorry i love you anne hathaway i think you're brilliant Devil Wears Prada is one of my favourite films. But you just can't beat Angelica Houston. You can't. You cannot go wrong with Angelica. You just, nobody can. I'm sorry. Even if Meryl Streep were to be the Grand High Witch, I still don't think she'd beat Big Angelica. Uh, yeah, no, you could be right. Come on, McLeish. Come on. Well, you mentioned Meryl, who's literally I know, my hero. Meryl can, but Me- Meryl can do no wrong and she'd kill it. But just, it was made for Angelica Houston, that role. Yeah. Yes. Um, she is the queen of kids' spooky films, after all. She is. Fern Gully had an oh, element of good scariness one. about it. Yeah. Maybe yep. that's what got me interested in environmentalism. That's fair. I could see why it would do that. The Big Blob, played by Tim Curry. Very scary. What a guy. What oh, a yes. guy. I have very vivid memories of Robin Williams' voice in the little, the bat thing. He's like the... Oh, yes. The little bat thing. I can see it's a miracle. That's like, that's stuck with me. Um, I think wow. it's because he's got his eyes Although, covered by his own off wing. Off the back of Fern Gully, another one that's just come to mind that's an absolute masterpiece of an animated film that has lots of very scary bits because it's partially true. Anastasia. Oh, yes, this, this is true. There's like that. That's quite a scary film. Literally, the first ten minutes features a mob that breaks into the palace to kidnap and kill the royal family. I mean, I <laughs> the <laughs> Romanov. Think about that as a child. That's so true. This the true story of the Romanovs. That's another deep dive. Absolutely horrendous, and it's one of those things that I cannot get my head around. It. It just is so wild. Yeah, I suppose considering like the circumstances of the time and and that in the country and stuff like that, yeah, it is. Yeah, I get where you're coming from, but it's it's really interesting. I mean, like one of the things of they kept their jewels sewn inside their clothes, and so when they were fired at by the firing squad, some of the daughters didn't die, so they bayoneted mm-hmm. them instead. Ugh! Like it just yeah. but it's so funny because actually see when you think about it like as a child when you're watching that film you don't they don't ever really explain what happens to her family just that 
they are dead. Yeah. And yeah. even then, they they don't really explicitly say that. They call it like an orphan at one point, I think. But they never like they never. The context of why they're not there is never given, which is yeah. Fair enough. Uh, the scene on the ship. Yes, that's is, literally what I was going to say. That's scary. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, is that really is creepy. I mean, I'm not a great traveler, so. No, that's fair. Not my not, not my thing anyway, but <laughs> I am um, also wild. Her hair on the ship all of a sudden whew, really long yes that is true it's a strange that thing true. that happens i never thought of that yeah uh, although side note something that sweetened the deal with that film was dimitri okay oh fair enough yeah dimitri was a fair size. enough oh yeah yeah also bernadette peters paris holds the key to romance. is that bernadette peters bernadette peters I have gone my 25, 26, I forgot my own age there, that's how good <laughs> I'm doing today, 26 years of life not knowing that. Yes, there you are. I think that was my first introduction to Big Bernie Wow! Pee. I mean, Rasputin is just a vile, vile looking thing. They really did him dirty. Yeah, and bits of him just fall off yeah. randomly. Yeah. And he's creepy. And his head goes inside his own rib cage at one point, that's wild. He, that's true, that does happen, but has arguably one of, if not the best song in that film. So I have two in that song. I like, um, once upon Oh, December. an absolute classic. But also, um, on the journey to the best. Again, another classic. Yeah. But I love myself a little minor key villain song and his is oh. right up there. And that, I mean, this is true. <laughs> I just stick to the light, the positive vibes. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But yeah, it was all the little dancing bugs. Yeah. What is that film? <laughs> it's really wild. It's really wild. But it's excellent. Oh, there's a, did excellent you know that there, film. There's a film called Bartok's Adventure. I knew there was a spin-off with the bat. One of my favourite bits is when Bartok is telling Rasputin about what he did to Anastasia. And he's like, I gave her a hiya and a hiya. And then I kick her, sir. <laughs> it's one of the best lines. Oh my God. Please, for Halloween one year, can you dress up as Bartok? Yes. And just go around saying that to everybody. Yes. yes. We can make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'll have to get someone to be my Rasputin. Hey, I'll take one for the team okay. and grow a beard and do it. But I would also quite like to be Anastasia in her, like, coronation dress it's not really her coronation oh. but if i could have that dress and i would you'd be wear that so well because you're thank so you. tall thank you i'll have a costume change halfway through the party i'll start off as bartok absolutely and then i'll absolutely. do a quick change to be anastasia <laughs> the dream shall we waste no more time and fire into Let's stories go for it yes i think you're first okay um, okay, so we're going to be talking about the medical today. Ooh. Ooh, because we do like a good medical story. We do. Here on Le Pod. So, I'm going to be talking about a man called James Braid. Have you heard of said man? I don't think I have. Beautiful stuff. Well, James Braid was born on the 19th of June, 1795, in the county of Kinross, which is situated on the east coast of Scotland. Oh, yeah. Yes, I don't think we've been to Kinross on the podcast yet. I don't believe we have. Don't think so, don't think so. 
So Braid was apprenticed to father and son duo of surgeons, Thomas and Charles Anderson, and then he attended the good old... Edinburgh University. He absolutely did. <laughs> Between 1812 and 1814. He obtained the Diploma of Licentiate of the Royal College of Surgeons of the City of Edinburgh in 1815. Sounds good. Wow. Sounds good. I.e., this meant that he was cool to practice medicine because licentiate comes from the Latin meaning having freedom to. Okay. So there you go. There you go. So he was basically, he was, he was good. He was checked out to do it. It was fine. So Braid ultimately moved his practice to Manchester in 1828 and he practiced there until his death in 1860. He was known um, as a highly adept surgeon and he was also a member of the Royal College of Surgeons. But Braid is perhaps best known for championing at the time a rather unconventional means of treatment. The term animal magnetism oh. mm-hmm. was coined by German doctor Franz Mesmer in the 18th century and it refers to the apparent invisible force that's possessed by all living things. Okay. Yes. I believe it. Yes. Now, that phrase might have a slightly different... <laughs> what's the word? Definition? Today. Yeah. But back in, back, back in day, it was, yeah. that was like... That's what it meant. So, Braid had caught wind of this practice and attended a public performance by a travelling magnetic demonstrator, quote-unquote, uh, who was a man called Charles Lafontaine. Which is not too dissimilar to Lafayette. True. Lafontaine. That's familiar yes. to me for some reason. Well, there we go. Excellent. Might be for this could reason. Be, could be a different one. Um, so this performance was at the Manchester Athenaeum and it was on the 13th of November, 1841. Braid, by his own account, was already convinced by the ag- animal magnetism theory, or at least he believed there was cause, that it could, there was cause to take it further. So he thought there's something in this. Let's, let's see what it's all about. So he had read a four-part investigation into the theory published in the London Medical Gazette and he was attending Lafontaine's demonstration as a, quote, open-minded sceptic. Okay. So he wanted to witness the evidence firsthand, yeah. basically. So he wasn't going there to, like, say, no, this is a pile of rubbish. He was going to go, let's just see what happens. It might work. A very healthy, very modern mindset. Absolutely. So Braid even examined some of Lafontaine's quote-unquote magnetised subjects, paying particular attention to their eyes and eyelids, and he concluded that they were in fact in a different physical state. He attended two more of Lafontaine's demonstrations and observed closely Lafontaine's practice. So Lafontaine, quote, stressed the importance of the initial physical contact and subsequent operator imposition of mind control once rapport had been established. And it also appeared that Lafontaine was often successful with his assistants, but rarely with any volunteers. What Braid was convinced of, however, was that there was a transferring of condition in these subjects. 
He said that they moved from condition one to condition two and subsequently back to condition one. But Braid didn't think that it had anything to do with magnetic agency between subject and operator. Braid states, and I quote, I considered that to be a real phenomenon and was anxious to discover the physiological cause of it. Next night, I watched this case when again operated on with intense interest and before the termination of the experiment, felt assured I had discovered its cause, but considered it prudent not to announce my opinion publicly until I had had an opportunity of testing its accuracy by experiments and observation in private. Basically, he was like, I think there's truth in this. I'm going to go and try it out for myself. Okay, why did you say that in the first place, Mr. Because <laughs> it was 1841, <laughs> Chris, okay? <laughs> <laughs> they could have bulked out a dissertation, no probes. Exactly. See all this nonsense days. about don't start your dissertation the week before. See the Victorians, man? They would have got it right out there. Yeah. They would have done it in eight hours, honestly. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. No problem. So, Braid sets out to conduct his own investigation, his Experimentum Crucius, which is an experiment capable of deciding whether a particular hypothesis or theory is superior to all others. So what was said experiment? So Braid did the opposite to LaFontaine, trying out a subject internal operator-guided procedure rather than it being operator-centred. He conducted on... These experiments on friends, family and himself, largely within his own home, and he began to come to the conclusion that it had nothing to do with the operator's, quote, gaze, charisma or magnetism. In fact, he got the idea it might have something to do with the subject's, quote, fixity of vision on an object of concentration. So he reportedly observed a patient visiting his practice, staring fixated on the dancing flame of a lamp. He believed that his object had to be a certain height and distance away from the nose to achieve the desired, quote, upwards and inwards squint. He also believed it had absolutely nothing to do with magnetic powers or agency. Braid founded what we know today as hypnotism. Oh yes, yes, well yes, done, yes, Mr. Braid. That is where we were going. I had to get all the technical chat out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Wow, but I didn't yes. know that that was a Scottish thing. It absolutely blinking is. What we now know and practice today came from James Braid. Wow, that's cool. Yes, 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 yes. So he writes a report which is called Practical Essay on the Curative Agency of Neurohypnotism and by the February of 1842, Braid refers to the practice as neurohypnology, which is later shortened to neurohypnology. So he dropped okay. a couple of letters. Yes. Save time. He chooses, exactly, he chooses this term in place of animal magnetism which and the word's combined meaning is... Rationale or doctrine of nervous sleep, with the prefix nervous distinguishing it from natural sleep. He also uses the term hypnotism in place of magnetism and mesmerism, and hypnotized for magnetized or mesmerized. So he starts okay. changing the language as well. It should be noted that Braid only ever used the term sleep metaphorically 
and he actually never used the term hypnosis. This wouldn't appear until the 1880s. Oh, okay. Yes, 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 yes. So one of the things I think people always associate with kind of like hypnotism is people going to sleep. Mm-hmm. But he never means it but like that. He just kind of used it in like a metaphorical sense, as in you're not awake to this world, therefore you must be in something that's the equivalent yeah. to a kind of sleep. So Braid used hypnosis to treat a variety of conditions, some successfully and others not so much. Braid was sure to record both positive and negative outcomes. So he was a good scientist. Mm-hmm. Because he said when he would, when things did go right, and when things didn't. Yeah. Which is what you want. We need it yes, to be fair. Absolutely. So he used the practice in the case of a 45-year-old man living with a spinal injury and so successfully managed to alleviate the pain in the man's arms and spinal cord through hypnotism, the man was able to return to work. That's amazing. Isn't it incredible? Yeah. Like, the mind is so powerful. Yeah, it honestly is. Pain lives in the mind. It really does. It really does. Um, So other cases included those that had had a stroke, those living with paralysis, and people with chronic rheumatoid conditions. So Braid was emphatic that hypnotism should be used ethically and should only be carried out by medical professionals in carefully considered cases, usually alongside additional treatments. But due to various reasons... Contemporary consciousness often associates hypnotism with something more sinister. Making people dance like a chicken? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely that. Yeah. Precisely that. Precisely. So, suspicions around hypnosis and its predecessor mesmerism date back to the time of Braid's initial investigations. So, on the 10th of April, 1842, controversial minister Hugh Menil preached against the practice of mesmerism for 90 minutes. That's a fair time to... That is a long time to be on the one topic. Says us who spoke about steps for 40 minutes. That is perfectly acceptable, (laughs) I feel, though. (laughs) I agree. Uh, but he likened the practice to, quote, satanic agency, and that it was practically a form of witchcraft. Blah, blah, blah. The old witchcraft argument rears its head again. So he actually attacked Braid in the sermon, denouncing him as both a man and a, as a scientist and actively associated him with the devil, which wasn't good. No, I, for, it wouldn't do any favours for the... No. No. It doesn't do anything for the old reputation. No. So uh, Mr. Braid had to try and put a stop to that. Fair enough. So this claim that he was in league with the devil uh, jeopardised Braid's social and professional standing and the sermon was printed in full in the Liverpool Standard two days later. So the whole city could just read it. Excellent. Which is what you want. Excellent. Which is what you want. Yeah, just get Classic. everyone gossiping about your old witchy ways. It's wild Absolutely. that even in the 1800s, people were like, witchcraft. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We should, surely we would have progressed far past that. <laughs> so 
I would agree. So Braid wrote out to McNeil and he invited him to attend his Liverpool lecture on the subject, but the minister ignored the invite. Um, which classic, which forced Braid to explain his own side of the story in a pamphlet, a work often referred to as, quote, a work of the greatest significance in the history of hypnotism and, and of utmost rarity. So someone go. holds it in pretty high regard. That's nice. Yes. So basically the, the written response um, that Braid did, people like accepted that he... Okay probably wasn't a witch yeah oh, that's nice Be- that was nice basically which is what you want you which do. is what you want you do particularly in like 1842 yeah just saying so obviously we are familiar with hypnotherapy today mm-hmm. as a widely used practice um, it's used often as a mental health treatment as pain relief and such as by people in labour because you now have hypnobirthing that's a thing Thea was meant to be hypnobirth oh that's so cool yeah yeah Um, yeah and many people cite this as an incredibly successful means of treatment some people swear by it it's amazing I was going to say this till after we talked about it but um, I have literally witnessed somebody being cured well not cured but have the symptoms of a proper crippling phobia Mm. i have seen somebody step out of a 10 minute chat with a hypnotherapist Mm -hmm. alleviated from the worst of the symptoms that they used to have Mm -hmm. when confronted by their phobia that's incredible it was at mary's wedding literally 10 minutes and my friend's mum had managed to get my mum's friend to like not be as terrified of spiders anymore it was wild was this all happening in the toilets during the reception what was the story here literally literally was it legit that's incredible yeah i love that she they talked about it at the table because they were both at the same table for a while and jackie was like carol come with me like come come like through here just for like a quick chat went through and that night carol was able to pick up a spider in a bit of toilet roll and get rid of it that's amazing and she went that's into pre- so she went into premature labor because she saw a spider and got a fright like that's how terrified of spiders she was <gasps> oh my yeah. god and she is now able to handle it she's able to cope with her phobia similarly my mum on a wednesday goes to see so this is ja- jackie uh, who mm-hmm. is my friend's one of my best friend's mums she is a hypnotherapist and mm-hmm. she gives my mum treatments on a wednesday morning and my mum's pain for like a couple of days after the session is nowhere near what it is usually that's incredible yeah it's it's really cool really really cool yeah that's that's amazing that's so cool also i love that just being a conversation happening in the toilet like legit i just love that classic classic scottish wedding oh yeah stuff (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) um classic however so why why do we think of hypnosis as being something slightly creepy today in other regards magicians absolutely took the word out of my mouth absolutely so hypnosis did become adopted by magicians and illusionists mm-hmm. uh, it portrayed back in the day as an otherworldly power today however it's more through the power of suggestion um Generally, the successful show hypnotist will have a good voice, is charismatic, and utilises the subject's focus. 
so one could say it's actually a hybrid of both Braid and LaFontaine's practices. So it is kind of, yeah. it's like a merging of the two. It is as much about kind of like the performance in terms of like performative hypnosis, if you like. Um, that is kind of like a, a sort of combination thing. So we are also widely familiar with hypnosis being sinister through its wide use in horror cinema. Yes. The cabinet of Dr. Caligari, the 1920 German expressionist silent horror film, has the titular character using hypnosis for nefarious means. I haven't seen it. You've never seen Dr. Caligari? No, I've heard of it. It is perhaps one of the creepiest films I've ever watched in my life. It's very, it's very disturbing in a strict, in a good kind of way. But yeah, I, I, I did film studies fleeting like university and that was one of the ones we watched and it was very scary okay. for various reasons. So there's also London After Midnight, which is the lost Lon Chaney film of 1927, which was based on a scenario entitled The Hypnotist, written by director Todd Browning. Groundbreaking. Yes, and speaking of Browning, his 1931-directed adaptation of Dracula featured Bela Lugosi as the seductive vampire hypnotising those into doing his bidding. It also features in the various Svengali films, which, is, which are all adaptations of the George de Maurier novel Trilby, and in fact, the term Svengali often refers to someone who is particularly hypnotic or controlling. Yes, including big Darren Brown. Darren Brown. Oh, yeah, no. what a guy. Darren, you're, you were right second time. I was like, who wrote Da Vinci Code? <laughs> Dan Brown. <laughs> I, got, <laughs> I got confusioned. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, you did get confusioned. Um, so the practice also features in A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. In 1987. Who knew? In Stir of Echoes in 1999. And even features in a little known 1993 Disney film called Hocus Pocus. Uh, Woo-woo! So recently, however, hypnosis was used to particularly sinister effect in 2017 film Get Out, which was written and directed by Jordan Peele. Very good. Very, very good. Masterpiece of a film. Absolutely adore that film. Yeah. Brilliant. Really good. Brilliant. Really scary. Just, oh, he's so good. He's just so good. Um, but anyway, that is James Braid and the power of hypnosis. I fully buy into hypnosis. It is crazy. I agree. I agree. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. I myself have received hypnotherapy for phobias. And it mm-hmm. hasn't alleviated the phobia so much, but it has 100% kind of eased anxiety. Wonderful. And it's given me a couple of sets of tools if I'm ever feeling particularly anxious, things that I can do mm-hmm. myself in order to try mm-hmm. and alleviate that stress. Totally works. Absolutely love it. It's really, it was so fascinating. I happened across Braid's name <laughs> when I was looking at undiscovered scotland for their most recent on this day post (laughs) oh nice 
And it came up, and I can't remember if it was his birthday or whatever, but his name came up on one of the dates. And I was like, James Braid, that looks, that seems vaguely familiar. So then ended up going down a whole rabbit hole. And yeah, the modern hypnosis is effectively a Scottish invention, basically. What's new, Pussycat? Everything seems to come from here. It's true. We are a nation of inventors after all. We are. But I just found it really, really fascinating how he... It was kind of done semi-scientifically, but the fact that he did go to, like, a theatre to watch it be performed and then... It, for it to go completely scientific, but then for it to kind of go back to being in the theatre again. And yeah. that's probably... Because I always feel like hypnotherapy was always kind of laughed at until recent years where yeah. people have started seeing that you can get real res- real results yeah, from 100%. it. Yeah, um, 100%. And it is actually a really useful practice. But people probably still think of hypnotists as people that dangle watches in front of your face yeah Yeah. absolutely look at the danglers but having seen Darren Brown and what he does Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that is that's also a very different type of yeah hypnosis quote unquote and power of suggestion and all that stuff he is incredible he is incredible and also it's definitely in his voice he has got the most beautiful voice yeah. You can you can understand how he just lulls people into making them do whatever he's asking them to do. Yeah, it's just also, it's so fascinating. Phenomenal painter. Have you ever seen any of Darren Brown's he's paintings? He's incredible. Phenomenal stuff. Have you? I remember there was a documentary on it. Was like Channel Four or something about him and his kind of like his career, mm-hmm. and they did a tour of his house, and his house is incredible. Yeah. It's legit, like something straight out the Victorian era. He also is a big collector of like of taxidermy and like oddities. Yeah, and I'm like, what a guy! What yeah, a guy! He's cool. He's really cool. Very flirty. Very flirty. He's, a, he's very sweet. He was very sweet the last very time nice. we worked. He was at one of our venues. Yeah, he's a very nice man. Fabulous. Well, shall I? whack out my story let's absolutely go for it i look okay. forward to it okay you've been given little context for this I or have. a little prep but location and people who refuse to leave that's all i told absolutely. you absolutely glam's castle is set in the broad and fertile lowland valley of strathmore near forfer in angus wonderful the estate surrounding the castle covers more than 57 square kilometers which is big very big in fact it sounds big and in addition to parks and gardens produces several cash crops including lumber and beef there are two streams running through the estate one of which is the glam's burn and there's an arboretum which overlooks glam's burn featuring trees from all over the world many of them rare and several hundred years old and it looks very nice I love that. Can I ask a question, though? Yes. How is the name of this castle spelt? It looks like Glamis. Why does one not pronounce the I? Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Fair enough. (laughs) 
The area of Glam's castle has prehistoric traces. For example, there was an intricately carved Pictish stone known as the Easy Stone found in a creek bed found in a creek bed in a nearby village. According to the official website for Glam's Castle, in 1034, Malcolm II was mortally wounded in a nearby battle and taken to a royal hunting lodge, which sat at the site of the present-day castle, where he then died. Oh. So it's a very historical location. Lots has happened there. We love it. This castle was built in 1372, since in that year it was granted by Robert II to Sir John Lyon, Thane of Glam's, husband of the king's daughter. Now, my stepmom's maiden name was Lyon, Lyons. So Ooh. I feel like we could be in for a big fortune. <laughs> but who knows? Because oh, even, even the rich back in Scotland times, back in olden Scotland times, they were only rich because they had thousands of sheep. Yes, as was the way. Yeah, we were never very wealthy money-wise. No, <laughs> but you had sheep, though. But we had sheep, which you could put round your shoulders to keep you warm. Exactly, it's a scarf and a pet. Yes, it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Finn, quite the same. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Glam's has remained in the Lion and later Bose Lion family since this time. The castle was rebuilt in an L-plan tower house in the early 15th century. But some of the original 1372 castle is still a part of that. Now, tell me, Bo's lying. Yes. Something to do with the royal family? Yes. So the towers in front of the castle each measure 7 metres in diameter and are about 4 metres high, each having a modern parapet. The walls are one metre thick. There is a small chapel within the castle which, which has seating for 46 people. The story given to visitors by castle tour guides state that one seat in the chapel is always reserved. And I will tell you more about that later. Oh. Now for any of you eagle-eyed listeners, eagle-eared listeners perhaps, I did indeed say the Thane of Glam's. Does this ring a bell? No pressure. No. Should it? No, you're fine. You're fine. I'm not judging. You'll see. (laughs) You'll see. Okay, okay. This is the very castle where the titular character of William Shakespeare's Macbeth resided whilst he himself was the Thane of Glam's. Ah, Yes, because there's the line, all hail Macbeth, all hail to the Thane of Glam's, all hail Macbeth. Hail to the Thane of Cawdor. All hail Macbeth, who shalt be king hereafter, I think is the line. So he starts off the play as the Thane of Glam's. He then becomes the Thane of Cawdor, and then he becomes the king. Fun. Ah, okay. Now, despite this, the historical King Macbeth, who died in 1057, had no connection to this castle whatsoever, considering it hadn't yet been built. That's fair then. Yes. He may have gone to the hunting lodge. Who knows? He might have done. Who's to say? During the Commonwealth of England, Scotland and Ireland, soldiers were garrisoned at Glam's. In 1670, Patrick Lyon, the third Earl of Strathmore and Kinghorn, returned to the castle and found it uninhabitable. Restorations took place until 1689, including the creation of the major Baroque garden, which is beautiful. 
John Lyon, ninth Earl of Strathmore and Kinghorn, succeeded in 1753. And in 1767, he married Mary Eleanor Bowes, heiress to a coal mining fortune. He set about improving the grounds of the castle in the picturesque style in the 1770s. In 1900, exactly 1900, okay. Lady Elizabeth Bowes Lyon was born. She was the youngest daughter of Claude Bowes Lyon, the 14th Earl of Strathmore and Kinghorn, and his wife Cecilia, whose maiden name was Cavendish Bentinck. So this woman, the child that was born, she is perhaps more fondly remembered as the Queen Mother. Yes. When Elizabeth was two, her mother surprised everyone by producing David, which was her 10th and last child. Elizabeth and David were nicknamed my two Benjamins because Benjamin was the name of the youngest son of Jacob in the Bible. David soon became Elizabeth's inseparable childhood companion and they did everything together as if they were twins. When Elizabeth was four, her grandfather, the 13th Earl, died and her father inherited the earldom and with it, Glam's Castle. Lady Elizabeth and the family thereafter divided their time between Glam's, St. Paul's Waldenbury and St. Streetlam Castle in County Durham. I don't know if that's how that's pronounced. <laughs> Elizabeth and David were full of pranks and mischief. They would do things like pouring, quote, boiling oil, which was actually just icy cold water, from okay. the ramparts on arriving guests as a prank. That's funny. That's that funny. Is funny. That's funny. That. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they probably played the whole kind of like, they're coming, pour the oil, Wah! and it was just water. Love that. Another thing that they would do was put footballs under the car's wheels um, so that when the chauffeur drove off, it would pop and give him a fright. That's also funny. Also very funny. Dangerous, but quite funny. <laughs> Fun times. Every possible opportunity laughs were had. During the First World War, Glam's Castle became a convalescence hospital. Mary Elizabeth's kindness won her the affections of many soldiers who passed through Glam's. On the 16th of September 1916, two soldiers discovered a fire in a room under the, under the castle roof. As they ran to raise the alarm, the first person upon which they stumbled was Lady Elizabeth, and she, go, she showed great presence of mind and immediately telephoned both the local and Dundee fire brigades. Oh my god, I said that I said that properly. It was it was a struggle. Yay! But I can't normally say fire brigade bagger brigade. Okay, never mind. What never mind? <laughs> moving never on, moving mind. on. She then marshaled everyone to fight the fire, organizing a chain to convey water in buckets from the river. Later, with the fire raging above them, she organized the removal of valuables out onto the lawn. And she was only sixteen at this day this stage. Well done, her. Yeah. In 1918, the armistice signalled the end of the war and the end of an era. Once the last soldier left Glam's in 1919, Lady Elizabeth was launched into the high society of the day at her coming out party, which means something very differently to us. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was slightly different back in the day. Different in the day. Or was it? Who knows? Perhaps true. she had that a penchant for ladies. Maybe. Whilst at a ball in London, Elizabeth caught the eye of Prince Albert, the second son of King George V. He proposed to Elizabeth in the spring of 1921, when she was 20 and he was 25. Initially, she refused, but they continued to court. And a further proposal 
was eventually accepted. Sir Henry Chatham wrote in his diary, quote, there is not a man in England who does not envy him. So she was very popular. Oh, excellent. The royal wedding took place in Westminster Abbey on the 26th of April, 1923. The first to be held there since 1382. That's quite a big gap. It was as long as that. 500-odd years. Oh, my God. Yeah. The royal couple spent some of their honeymoon at Glam's Castle. The Duchess soon settled into her new life and gave her husband the confidence and support he needed in the events, which soon which were soon to engulf them and bring him unexpectedly to the throne and she to the position of Queen Consort. On 21st of April 1926, she gave birth in London to their first child, who was Princess Elizabeth and would eventually become QE 2.0. Then, on a stormy (laughs) August night in Glams in 1930, Princess Margaret was born. And this was the first royal baby born in Scotland since the year 1600. Wow! Yeah, no royal babs. Good old Margaret. Since 1987, an illustration of the castle has featured on the reverse side of £10 notes issued by the Royal Bank of Scotland. Glam's oh, is currently... I handy now. <laughs> I know, I wish I had a tenner. Glam's is currently the home of Simon Bowes Lyon, the 19th Earl of Strathmore and Kinghorn, who has succeeded to the earldom in 2016. But, all of this considered, there is one reason that makes Glam's all the more interesting. And that, of course, is the legends, tales and ghosts galore that have been known to wander the halls. This is what we're here for. This is it. This following quote comes from a book from 1875 called Glimpses of the Supernatural. Quote, There is no doubt about the reality of the noises at Glam's castle. On one occasion some years ago, the head of the family with several companions was determined to investigate the cause. One night, when the disturbance was greater and more violent than usual, and it should be premised strange, weird and unearthly sounds had often been heard, and by many persons, some quite unacquainted with the ill repute of the castle, his lordship went to the haunted room, opened the door with a key, and dropped back in a dead swoon into the arms of his companions, nor could he ever be induced to open his lips on the subject afterwards. For a very long time, folk have been getting spooky-wooky in this house. The most famous of legends connected to the castle revolves around a dark lion family secret which is commonly referred to as the monster of glams this quote monster was in fact just a heavily deformed child various research i know awful various researchers claim that this was thomas bow's lion the son of thomas lord glams and his wife who were the great-great-grandparents of Queen Lizzie number 2. They told the public the child was a stillborn on October 21st, 1821, but there are reasons to believe that this child didn't actually die. The child was born with a huge deformity. His chest was enormous. He was as hairy as my couch after the cats have taken a snooze, and his, re- his head ran straight into his shoulders. The arms and legs of the child were reported to be toy-like, which means to me perhaps they were very small. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Only three people ever knew of the existence of this child, and it was their duty to look after this this quote-unquote monster. Oh. If ever one of these three confidants died, another was appointed. The monster was hidden away in his own private chambers, deeply within the castle. And when the child died, the lord bricked his chambers in so nobody could ever discover the rooms. But there was once a Lady Glams who desperately wanted to find where the, where the child resided. When the Lord was away, she invited over friends, and together they hung towels by each of the castle's windows. Once outside, they discovered that one window was towelless. When the Lord came back unexpectedly, he was furious with his wife. She left the very same night and never returned. It is said that the monster of Glams still haunts the castle battlements. That's actually very Aww. sad. Very sad story. But yeah. in the, an alternative version of the legend is that to every generation of the family, a vampire child, a vampire child is born and is walled up in that room. That's quite the family curse, that one. Yes. <laughs> the existence of this quote-unquote monster mm. is uncertain. The existence of vampire children, unlikely. But... The legend of the monster may have actually been inspired by true events involving okay. the Ogilvy family. So some members of the Lyon family were quite cruel. Back in the day, the Ogilvy family and the Lindsay family were engaged in a nasty feud. One night, a group of Ogilvies arrived at the castle begging the Lord for safety from a group of pursuing Lindsays. The Lord led them inside, took them to a secret room where the Lindsays couldn't reach them. The Ogilvies were grateful until they discovered that the Lord locked them inside to starve. The Lions and the Lindsays were allies. Oh dear. Yes. So when the leader of the Lindsays arrived at the castle, Lord Glams showed him the key and told him not to worry about the Ogilvies any longer. A few weeks later, some servants heard strange noises coming from the dungeon. The Lord was away, so they set out to explore. When they opened the door to the dungeon, they were intensely shocked to find a whole pile of rotting corpses. One man was still alive, although barely. He had survived by eating the flesh of his dead relatives. Oh, it's the cannibalism again. Cannibals! <laughs> just as bad as incest. Cannibals! <laughs> Don't do it! <laughs> <laughs> that's um yeah that's the cannibal theme tune oh dear uh, and today that's it is grim really grim yeah, yeah that's bad jen Lindsay, we're looking at you <laughs> this is your heritage she's gonna sue you for slander for that oh, one <laughs> sugar my timbers well it's unsurprising that today that room exudes a strong feeling of uneasiness I mean, fair enough. Yes. I don't know what's worse, the rotting corpses or the person eating said people. Because the cannibalism is bad enough, but the cannibalism is involving those rotting corpses. So it's not only just the flesh of his relatives, it's the rotting flesh of his relatives. Yeah. Yeah. Forget Ogilvy, it's more like Bokilvy. Bokilvy. <laughs> Agreed. Thank Agreed. You. Now I was telling about this dark deep family secret of the monster within the walls wasn't i absolutely yes. well 
At one stage, that secret was accidentally discovered by a maid centuries ago. But <gasps> instead of keeping the secret to herself, she went straight to the Lord to confront him. Perhaps she even tried to blackmail him with his secret. But she ended up paying the ultimate price. Oh, no. The Lord, who absolutely wanted the family secret to be kept a secret, ordered his men to silence her. Her tongue was to be removed so she couldn't speak. But she, fle- she fled. The men caught the maid, cut out her tongue, and once again, she was able to escape. She ran across the courtyard, but was eventually recaptured and killed. Her ghost has been seen in the courtyard while blood is gushing from her mouth. She's also been seen behind one of the barred windows. Oh, mm-hmm. that's, that's a nasty one. Now, in this house, there used to be an Earl Beardy. Earl Beardy was a cruel man. It is unclear whether this man was Patrick Lyon, the first Lord Glams, who died in 1459 and may have been known as Earl Beardy, or Alexander Lindsay, which was the fourth Earl of Crawford, who was definitely known as Earl Beardy. Mm -hmm. The Earl of Crawford, uh, one story is that his own mother smothered her brother so that he could succeed to the title. He was certainly a cruel and ruthless character, although Patrick Lyon was reputedly little better. Either way, whoever this Earl Beardy was, he definitely existed, and he was incredibly cruel. Okay. One day, he and his friends were bored, so they decided that they were going to have a little fun. They were going to spice up their lives. Why not? One of their black servants was stripped naked and forced to run around the castle grounds. This form of entertainment eventually took a dark turn because they decided to start to hunt the poor servant. The man was chased down by Earl Beardy, his guests, and their dogs, and completely torn apart. The ghost of this servant has been seen running the corridors in total panic. Oh my god, that is horrible. Horrendous. Oh my god. But it doesn't end there with Earl Beardy. This man was a heavy drinker with a terrible, terrible temper. One night he demanded to play cards, but no one wanted to play cards because it was the Sabbath. He cursed and screamed that he he would play until doomsday, gosh darn it. Suddenly a man in a black cloak appeared who claimed he would play cards with Earl Beardy. After a while, a great deal of swearing and shouting was heard coming from the room they were in. One of the servants took a peek through the keyhole to see what was happening and found himself blinded in one eye by a bright beam of light. It is rumoured that the mysterious man was the devil himself who took Earl Beardy's soul that night. He haunts the castle as a dark presence. The story then goes that such disturbance and noise issued from the chamber that eventually it was locked up and people feared to enter there at all. This did not, however, entirely solve the problem and unexplained sounds still plagued Glams. Another excerpt from the Glimpses of the Supernatural reads, A lady and her child were staying for a few days at the castle. The child was asleep in in an adjoining dressing room and the lady, having gone to bed, lay awake for some time. Suddenly, a cold blast stole into the room 
extinguishing the nightlight by her bedside, but not affecting the one in the dressing room beyond, in which her child had its cot. By that light, she saw a tall, mailed figure pass into the dressing room from, which, from that in which she was lying. Immediately thereafter, there was a shriek from the child. Her maternal instinct was aroused. She rushed into the dressing room and found the child in agony of fear. It described what it had seen as giant who came and leant over its face. And this is apparently not the only occasion that something like this would happen. Other children staying in the upper rooms of the castle have reported waking up to find a large bearded phantom leaning over the beds watching them. Oh, that's creepy. That's Mm. creepy. Yes. That's very creepy. Although, see when he was moaning about his card and some randomer in a cloak turned up, he didn't maybe, he didn't question it. Yeah, never trust a man in a cloak unprovoked. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Although I'll tell you this, Hannah Brown, another fun, fun, fun moment I had at the Steps concert. Their first outfits were kind of superhero, futuristic, very cool. We love that. Capes. Capes Capes. galore. And you know I love a cape. A cape and a cloak. I know. Oh, it was excellent, excellent, excellent. I could wear a cape or a train every day of the week. I would love it. You need to start doing that. I need to. You need to get you a special one made. Yeah. The Queen Mother herself has seen a couple of ghosts in Glam's castle. One of these ghosts was the spirit of a young African servant boy. Even though he was treated unkindly at the castle sometime in the midst of the 18th century, he is a funny character. This mischievous boy has been known to make people trip outside the Queen Mother's bedroom. He was also blamed for pulling away bedclothes in the middle of the night. And this happened mainly in the former dressing room, which is now converted into a bathroom. King James V of Scotland called Glam's castle his home for a short period of time. But the means by which he claimed the castle as his own are incredibly questionable and involves Lady Janet Douglas the beautiful widow of John Lyon, sixth Lord Glams. Janet had a son by John, also called John. Classic. And later married Walter Campbell of Skipness. She was also the sister of Archibald, sister of Archibald Douglas, fifth Earl of Angus, and was hated along with the rest of her family by James V. James had been ill-treated and imprisoned in his youth by the Earl of Angus. Oh. Who had also married his mother, Margaret Tudor, after the death of his father, James IV, at the disastrous Battle of Flodden in 1513. Scottish history is wild. It really is. It's a crazy time. The Earl of Angus virtually ruled the kingdom. When James V came of age, he escaped from Falkland Palace and Angus's clutches and asserted his own power. Angus fled Scotland after being besieged in Tintallan Castle in 1528, but James went on to pursue pursue vengeance against his family. Janet was widowed the same year that her brother fled Scotland. James had forfeited the Earl of Angus, seized his lands and property. Woo-woo! Janet was summoned on a charge of communicating with her exiled brother. She failed to appear and was then forfeited herself. She and her family were besieged in Glam's castle and brought to Edinburgh. 
Although a woman of impeccable character, she was accused of trying to poison James and also of da, 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 witchcraft. Classic. Of course. Although it took some torturing of Janet's servants and friends to find any evidence against her on these charges. <laughs> Although she may well have been guilty of actually speaking to her brother, so fair play for that one. I mean, fair Although, play, but... Fair play, but also get a grip. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> she was imprisoned with her husband, Walter Campbell, and her son, John, in a dark dungeon of Edinburgh Castle. Although nearly blind in her jail, Janet made an eloquent speech in her defence at her trial. But it was to no avail and she was convicted, along with her son. Campbell, her husband, managed to escape from the prison but died falling from Castle Rock. Cool. Unfortunately, nothing could be done to save Janet. And on the 17th of July, 1537, on what is now the Esplanade of Edinburgh Castle, she was burned alive. Her 16-year-old son was forced to watch. Oh, that's... Horrendous. Not good. That she is was not good. So grim. I don't like it when my mum burns herself on the hob. Fair enough. It's a nasty time. Never mind being burnt at the stake. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. She was described as, quote, in the prime of her years of a singular beauty and suffering through all, though a woman... With a man-like courage. <laughs> I mean, I see the compliment. Oh, it was nearly a compliment. I, I can see it. It was let down at the last hurdle. <laughs> yeah, I can see. By 1537 standards, that is the highest praise one could receive. Absolutely. Absolutely. John, her son, was also sentenced to death. But fortunately for him, he was not of age to be executed. Oh, well, lucky him. Yes, that would have to wait till he was 18. Oh. Yeah. In the meantime, James V took all his lands and houses, including Glam's Castle, and plundered them. But luckily for John, James died in 1542 before he himself could be executed. So he was pardoned and became the seventh Lord Glam's and recovered his property. Yay! Janet's ghost is said to haunt the spot where she died on the Esplanade outside Edinburgh Castle but has also reputedly returned to Glam's. The story is that her apparition, known as the Grey Lady, although also sometimes known as the White Lady, but this could also be an entirely different ghost. Who knows? Fair enough. Has reputedly been seen in the Castle Chapel as well as in the Clock Tower. Glam's Castle is open to the public and the chapel may be visited. Ooh. Hammering and banging believed to come from her execution are also said to plague the building. One account of 1880 relates, quote, A lady well known in London society, an artistic and social celebrity, wealthy beyond all doubts of the future, and what is called very cultivated and instructed, but clear-headed and perhaps slightly matter-of-fact woman, went to stay at Glam's castle for the first time. She was allotted very handsome apartments, but on the point of the junction between the new buildings, perhaps 100 or 200 years old, and the very ancient part of the castle. The rooms were handsomely furnished, no gaunt carvings grinned from the walls, no grim tapestry swung to and fro, making strange figures look the stranger by the flickering firelight. All was smooth, cosy and modern, and the guest retired to bed without a thought of the mysterious mysteries of glams. 
In the morning, she appeared at the breakfast table quite cheerfully and self-possessed. To the inquiry how she had slept, she replied, Well, thanks, very well, up to four o'clock in the morning. But your Scottish carpenters seem to come to work very early. I suppose they put up their scaffolding quickly, though, for they are quiet now. This speech produced a dead silence, and the speaker saw with astonishment that the faces of members of the family were very pale. She was asked, as she valued the friendship of all there, never to speak to them of the subject again. There had been no carpenters in Glam's castle for months past. This fact, whatever it may be worth, is absolutely established, so far as the testimony of a single witness can establish anything. The lady was awakened by a loud knocking and hammering as if somebody were putting up a scaffold, and the noise did not alarm her in the least. On the contrary, she took it for an accident due to the presumed matutinal, matutinal, matutinal. It's a word that means morning, but I don't know how it's pronounced. Okay, that's fine. I don't think I've ever heard this word in my life. Neither have I, which is probably why they put morning in the brackets when I looked at the article. (laughs) Uh, So due to the presumed morning habits of the people. She knew, of course, there were stories about glams, but had not the remotest idea that the hammering she had heard was connected to any story. So there you are. That was the ghost of Janet. One sunny day, Lady Granville, the aunt of the then Earl and sister to the Queen Mother, saw the ghost in the chapel, kneeling at one of the pews. She could see the figure and dress quite clearly, but the sun shone through the ghost, making a pattern on the floor. Timothy Patrick, the 16th Earl of Strathmore, also saw the Grey Lady at a different time kneeling in the chapel, and he then withdrew and left her alone. A further detail is that a guide taking visitors round the castle noticed that people visiting the chapel instinctively never sat on one particular pew as if it was already occupied. A further account has the Grey Lady being seen on the day that James the Old Pretender visited the chapel at Glam's in January 1716 to cure the king's evil, which is another, which is the kind of nickname given to Scrofula, which is a glandular swelling i think i remember that from horrible histories (laughs) horrible histories the gray lady was observed entering the chapel and kneeling in prayer of course james was the great 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 grandson of james v the man who had seen janet douglas so horribly and unjustly executed because the castle was rather isolated many lords decided to live elsewhere Glam's castle was then looked after by a factor. Can you take a stab? This you'll not get this. Take a stab at who one of these factors was. I don't know. A president of the US. Sir Walter Scott. Hey! We know that guy. <laughs> Hiya. He applied for the job in 1790. Scott thought the isolation of the castle would bring good to his writing. However, he didn't last long. In an account which he published in 1830, he claimed, quote, as I heard door after door shut, I began to consider myself as too far away from the living and somewhat too near the dead. Oh, an excellent quote from Big Walter. Excellent quote from Walter. There is a room called the hangman's chamber inside the castle. A butler once hanged himself in there and still haunts the room. 
Faces appear at windows, there are cold spots, there is a bent old lady who carries a bundle of cloth to the middle of the courtyard before disappearing. There is banging and knocking noises. Another monster is said to dwell in Loch Calder, which is near the castle. And the late Sir David Bowes Lyon, while taking a late stroll on the lawn after dinner, reportedly saw a girl gripping the bars of a castle window, staring distractedly into the night. He was about to speak to her when she abruptly disappeared, as if somebody had torn her away from the windows. And that is the story of Glam's Castle and those who refuse to leave. It feels like you could do a really good kind of like ghosts like tv show just set in that castle 100 percent, charlotte ritchie let's do it together <laughs> it feels like if they ever want to do a scottish special where they all go on holiday then I they mean, should just go there i'm waiting for the call i'm waiting for the call absolutely absolutely but that's that's a okay that's a very haunted place a very they're haunted castle excellent ghost stories one hundred. None of them are that wishy washy. They're all. No. They all seem to have solid foundations. Yes. It's not just oh, there's this grey lady who haunts the place, and we think it might be this woman. There is yeah. fully a story of a woman who was horrendously mistrialed and then executed. Yeah. Who makes an appearance and yeah i just love it i think i i was aware of the gray lady but i don't think i ever made the glam's castle connection before plenty of ghosts to be had thank you can one go and visit said castle one absolutely can yay you can visit the castle thursday to sunday you have to book you can see the gardens they've got a cafe and a gift shop they've got a play area now that is the important things. This is the important thing. They've There's got a, a cafe menu. and a gift shop. <gasps> Let's have a look at the menu. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for once again joining us at A Wee Bit Gothic for some more stories. Take a look at our Instagram or Facebook to see the corresponding photos. They will give you a wee visual to go along with our stories. And if you do have a question for us to answer please do either email us or messages or comment on one of the hat posts which go up throughout the week. And should you own a little Apple device, if you could head on over to that magical little Apple podcast logo and search for a wee bit gothic and leave us a review, we would be much appreciative of it as it does help us in the massive podcast algorithm of the world. Was that gothic? A wee bit. Hello? Hello? You sounded like you're giving it a little bit of Frozen. Uh, which song? Yeah, that. That. It's very high. <laughs> wow! Thank you. <laughs> that vocal acupuncture did you good. It really did.